welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your co-hosts, Jess Geyer. I am one half of Wannabe Games, and I make tabletop RPGs. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hello. Um, yeah, I'm Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and I make games as well. And uh, do we have a guest today, Jess? Yes, we do. We have a guest named Simon McIntyre. Hi, Simon. Hi, Jess. How's it going? <laughs> it's going well. How are okay. you? And and tell us about yourself, even though I know you a little bit already. Yes, um, I'm doing okay. First of all, thanks for asking. And uh, yeah, I also make games, mostly TTRPGs, though I have been working lately on my first uh, Enigma, which are kind of non-standard puzzle games. I'll plug that a little bit later. But yeah, I've, um, I'm part of Flying Nightmare Games. I'm the director of marketing slash concept development and yeah, I've been doing that for a while, so. Awesome. I'm excited to hear about this Enigma. I love Enigmas. You should be. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Greg, what are we doing today? Um, sure. We're going to be talking about a couple of things, um, starting off talking with a GMing topic, um, sharing the spotlight, and that has to do with kind of across the board, right? Like it, it, in all of its... Uh, um, iterations where you know as a gm one of the one of the things that are um at least kind of partly on your plate to deal with or um something that you kind of can keep in mind is making sure that you and the players are kind of all sharing the story together and that all the players themselves um are getting their time um and uh that can be uh, a challenging thing sometimes there are players who are very very um active and vocal and very um very outgoing and then there are players you know that are a little more uh closed off a little more introverted um might take a little bit of prompting um or encouragement to get more involved or maybe that's just the level of what they want to be you know it's the level of involvement that they want and there's there's a, a balance point of recognizing that as well so let's talk a little bit about what we as gms can do to uh to make sure that the spotlight gets shared at the table yeah, I, I think when you get somebody who really likes the spotlight at your table, it can sap up a lot of like a lot of that energy at the table. I have been like a player at tables before where one person wants to be involved in everything. Uh, they want to be the person who can be good in combat and they're the person that's going to solve the mystery and they're the person that's going to talk to all the other NPCs. They want to be involved in everything. And that can be a little frustrating as another player at the table. Um, and, you know, flagging your distress about this as a player is a little difficult. So as a GM, you kind of have to be on guard for how often those those portions of the table are are being shared or how often one single person might be dipping their toes into the water. Um, I think my biggest strategy for that, and it seems counterintuitive to a lot of advice from players and GMs is to split the party when this happens. So you are physically removing, not, not physically, physically, but physically in the game, separating players so they can't be in the spotlight of another group of players. I've used that strategy quite often. So um, making, not necessarily for like forcing those players to get involved um, that might not be involved, but um, not giving them a person to fall back on and not giving the option for maybe this spotlight hog to jump in on that action in particular. Uh, have you ever had a problem like that before? 
No, my players are always perfect 100% of the time. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I, yeah, it's, it's, it can be an issue. Um, uh, and there, there are games, too, when, when players, like, will, like, even be aware of it and they, they feel bad about it, like, they don't want to do it, but it's just force of habit, like it comes up um, and, you know, those are the fortunate situations, obviously, but Craig, I think it comes back in large part to what you said and uh, about finding that level and just what you were saying about how can the players who are, you know, not getting their time flag the DM. I, I, um, I kind of view GMing as, as almost more of a social like coordinatorship mm -hmm. role than it is a storytelling one. Obviously, that's a big part of it, but um, when your game is made up of a bunch of individual people and they have to be getting along, like you need to be managing communication, things like this. This is an issue I was having with players um, just the other day, whose like definitions of what and was not acceptable to say about like real life things, like differed a little bit and um, not terribly but you know that took some navigating i don't want to say too much about it because obviously it's a personal right. thing for them but um but i think uh, craig to go back to what you were saying people can be involved in different ways um so one of my games i'm running the twilight war um i have one guy whose preferred method of involvement is to sit around and like you know, make jokes about what his character is doing. His character is kind of like a creepy old organ thief sort of a guy. Hmm. And he likes to, like you do. Um, sure. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, you know, he doesn't like to be involved really in any serious decision-making to some extent. Um, but his his big joy is to, you know, talk about, okay, my character is going to go do this weird random thing. It doesn't have a big impact on the story, but everyone enjoys it. So I try to provide opportunities for these weird, random, non-story things. Like, oh yeah, you see this random orphan on the side of the street. <laughs> like you want to go steal their organs. Uh, Whoa. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I, should, I should specify this is a, a Call of Cthulhu based game. Well, so no, listen, if D&D &D didn't want you to steal the organs of orphans, they shouldn't have given you experience for it. In the, it's in the book. It's yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. It's the challenge rating of an orphan. <laughs> I bet there is one. Yeah. No, I don't recall organs being on the random treasure table, but that's why you got to work for them. Well, it's not. Yeah, it's not random. <laughs> um, yeah, but in the group, there are other people who like to take the leadership role. It's all about trying to set up. Um, and I find sequentially is the best way. Set up an opportunity for people to take leadership roles, then set up an opportunity for people to talk, then set up an opportunity for comic relief, then set up an opportunity for people to get into philosophizing and theorize. Is philosophizing a word? Sure. Yeah, I just made that up. Okay, let's go with that. <laughs> theorizing. Um, just whatever each player finds interesting. I hadn't thought of splitting the party. That sounds like an, an excellent excuse to kind of, you know, you know, thin the herd a little bit. Yeah, they're um, in some like Powered by the Apocalypse books, like the the narrator 
moves that you have. Um, I'm thinking particularly Monster of the Week as well as my game Moonpunk. There is a move that the narrator can take or like the GM, I should say, can take, which is to separate the the, the punks or to separate the players, right? Um, because it makes them have to rely on other other skill sets. They don't have the the person in there that's really good at um, like making sure that this trap won't explode the entire party. Oh, good luck with the wizard and the cleric in there. Good luck if you don't have the rogue with you this time. It kind of sets up this new challenge. Um, and while everyone else is like waiting to see what's going to happen with the terrible roles that are inevitable, inevitably going to take place. Um, but it also, you know, it allows smaller conversations between uh, characters as well. Um, so like if you do have, because my main problem is it, with with being a player, like what I've encountered being a player and as a GM is one person wanting to be involved in everything rather than people not wanting to be involved. Um, it, it gives people a chance to have a conversation without that other person even being able to mm. get it. Like, no, you you aren't there. You can't hear what's going on. We'll, we'll get to you see. in a second. <laughs> yeah. It's a little, it's a bit of work as a GM because you have to like go from one, like one set of group to another group. But during that time, you can have um, the people who aren't like in the spotlight at that moment. Okay, go get a snack, go get a drink, get out of this room because you don't know what's happening. And Mm. maybe you can set up a plot hook too, just like a little bit of intrigue there. Um, Well, maybe, maybe the people in this room got bit by vampires and now they're secretly vampires. And that gives them (laughs) something too to hold on to, which allows them to still have, you know, you have that little role now even if you're not actively there you're thinking like oh i'm secretly a vampire i'm gonna do secret vampire things later and they don't know Mm -hmm. and even though you might not be having that active role in that moment you have that passive secret role in that moment that makes a lot of sense i i should try that is i take it your game is in person if you're talking about out of the room well, um, if you are in person, you can do it out of the room. If you're doing something in Zoom, you can do breakout rooms. Um, if you're doing something in Discord, you can deafen um, people if you are the the owner of your channel. Um, but yeah, right now I don't have a I don't have an active game. It's very sad. Oh, <laughs> I know. Um, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing that can be handy is if you've got a player that will help kind of to monitor that sort of thing, particularly if that player is playing a character that is kind of like in a leadership or organizational role where um, it becomes a little more, it's less about like the the GM suddenly putting the player on the spot where the, the player is playing this character who, who will ask, you know, what do you, th-, you know, like in character ask, what do you think? And then, yeah. you know, addressing the other um, a, a quieter players or somebody who hasn't piped up recently addressing their character and getting them kind of drawing them into the scene Um, because you know and it can come out of like the the not getting in a player not getting involved can come out of a lot of things it can be they they may be intimidated they may just be kind of quieter more introverted anyway that like uh, Simon was talking about a, a player that just like they're perfectly happy with just having like one or two kind of cool moments and the rest of the time they they're satisfied to watch or maybe um, that's the character they're playing in that moment yeah right um or there it, it can be like anxiety just like if, uh, if somebody is 
talking a lot, they're, they're, they're nervous about interrupting. They're nervous about like, they're waiting for the, the gap in, in the discussion. Mm-hmm. And if you've got three very uh, extroverted people who are having a lively discussion, whether the GM is one of them, or if it's all players, it's, you know, some people will have a hard time wanting to interject and feel like, well, I'm, I'm going to be stepping on other people's toes. That's not, it's not a good thing to do. So if you've got, you know, like, if uh, through an NPC, getting people and getting the character kind of drawn into the story, players who are more cognizant of that sort of thing. Um, like this is one of the things that Jess and I have talked about with a number of, of guests about a lot of a number of different GMing things is taking some of the responsibilities off of the GM and spreading them around to the players and, and kind of helping to make sure people get involved and get their moment um, is certainly something that another player can kind of help with too. And that just kind of like that, that becomes their thing. They just kind of, in addition to playing the character and whatever they've got, you know, whatever else they've kind of got that they bring to the table, they um, just kind of keep an eye and be like, you know, so-and-so hasn't piped in here yet. And I know that they, um, they need sometimes, sometimes they need uh, a little drawing out. Or yeah. even if you don't have that player at the table, you can do that with an NPC too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it, becomes I, an invi- I, it becomes an invitation. I'm thinking yeah. in like that, there's always that character in a movie, like, oh, let the quiet guy talk. What's your no? Let him let let him talk. Make make them do it in this in this way that's almost threatening. Sometimes depending mm-hmm. on the genre, don't push your players too hard. But that can be really fun. Well, I, I, both of those are excellent points, and I think you know again to reference this Call of Cthulhu based game. I'm I'm doing like one of the things I'll do as as the GM out of character is just go around periodically and check like you know I mentioned the orphan like are you guys okay? <laughs> on an out of character level with what is happening right now? Or do we need to like slightly alter things around to make this like something you can you can process? Cause it can get dark at times. And obviously that's not what it's all about. It's about people having a good time and, and um, being able to role play and explore this sort of area. Um, but uh, Craig, uh, what you mentioned about the the player like the leader player bringing in other characters is very interesting because i have the like inverse situation um the guy uh, so the the game i'm running actually takes place in a number of chapters so they have five different sets of characters who are all kind of the same character but that's a um <laughs> that's a whole thing that's a whole thing yeah <laughs> uh, but uh so his character is usually the leader and he's kind of a take charge kind of guy again he's thoughtful he doesn't try to hog the spotlight by any means but in this particular uh chapter his character he specifically chose to play a guy who's a giant idiot and is completely <laughs> incapable of leadership and the person whose character would be the natural leader the the player tends to be much more on the on the on the quiet side so um you know, one of the things we've started doing as a group, and the players started doing this themselves, this had nothing to do with me, much as I'd like to claim credit, was they would start like, before they had any major scene, any major social interaction, they kind of conference out of character a little bit to talk about, all right, what are our goals? What is everyone's role here going to be? And that created a lot of um, like uh, space for, for the quieter players to take on a larger role it gave them the opportunity i was i was going to kind of this this ties into something i was thinking about as well gave them the opportunity to 
not be put on the spot and to think about what they were going to ultimately kind of bring to this moment because they're, they're planning for it beforehand. Um, and that's something you can do too. If you've got a, a, a character that hasn't said much in a while, a player that's kind of hanging back. Um, if there's a lot of information being exchanged, for example, and, and everybody's, you know, a lot of people are talking, you can, you know, as in the part of an NPC, you can say, you know, like pay attention to what the player's looking like. Like, they, they, do they look engaged? Are they like, they're, they're, you know, they're paying attention. They're on board. They're, and you can just kind of address their character. And, and you know, I've done this, this sort of thing occasionally where you say, you look like you have something about, you, you look like you have something important you want to tell us. I'm going to come back to you. And then off you go to something else for a little while and you give them the opportunity to kind of formulate what they want to do rather than just like That's suddenly throwing the improvisation moment at them. Mm. I like not that. Every, not everybody yeah. is ready to just go off the cuff right. based sure. on yeah. whatever the situation is right now. Um, you know, or you can, you know, you can, you can, you can ask the question, say like, you know, you look like you have something important you want to say. And if they don't start, you know, and give them a beat. And if they don't start talking, then say, I'll come back to you for that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, go back around and, um, and you can even steer the, the conversation at that point too. You could have your NPC ask about things that the character that you're going to come back to has some sort of knowledge about or expertise in mm -hmm. so that they will have like immediately have something like, like if that, if that player knows that your character's a vampire and is going to do secret vampire things later, <laughs> you can steer the conversation into like, you know, well, well, do you think there are vampires among us? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody can be like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then, you know, and then you come back around to that person and, and, and you don't even have to like, like set them up. Like they know you just like every so often give them a look like, you know, <laughs> you, nobody can see me in the, in the audio podcast making the look, but you know, you give them that look of like, hmm? you know, do, do you? <laughs> May I interest do, you? Do in you some... know if there's a vampire in the, in the group? May I interest you in some garlic bread? <laughs> Hold my cross. <laughs> yeah, you don't even have to do that necessarily at the table either. There are opportunities to share the spotlight outside of the actual gaming session via character journals or or letters you could like like let's say that you had a scene where you were meeting with the queen and the queen was having this big old hearing for some terrible thing that you know the adventurers will have gotten themselves into um organ stealing racket for example uh <laughs> and if that if that other character wasn't saying much maybe didn't have something to say at the table at that time either even with your prompt maybe before the next session, the Queen's Herald gives them a letter asking them to do something in particular for them during the next setting or asks them mm. to make a report back. And then they can have the opportunity to um, to write, to, to, to have this character interaction in writing. Um, I love character journals for that reason, because it, mm. it allows a, a character to have the spotlight on them 100%. And no one else, no one else gets in there because no one else is writing with them unless you're doing a shared journal, which are also fun. I would also recommend. Um, and then you can, if you have a place where you like Obsidian Portal or whatever you're, you might be using, maybe your Discord page or um, anything, you could post that as as a character journal um, for everyone to see. Maybe <clears throat> there are lots of opportunities like that. Um, or uh, yeah, yeah, Craig, I just I really like the. I'm going to come back to you like in, in character saying, we're going to come back to you later. Um, mm -hmm. I, I love that prompt because it, 
gives them a task at that moment to think about. Yeah. Another thing I've had some luck with, and it's it doesn't have that element of giving them a task at the moment, which I really do like, but um, it can help uh, quieter players get started is skill roles. Um, if you're in a system with an idea role, that's great. You can be like, hey, you think of this because you have a background in this, right? So it makes sense. Or if they don't have a good idea score, you say, okay, well, this has to do with fighting. So use your melee combat role as, as an idea skill like that. You know, we can, we can work that in there. Like it, it gives them, cause you can tell the player something and then their character can relay that. And sometimes at the end of it, they'll go back to being quiet, but sometimes they kind of get on a roll and they start going that other people ask them questions and sometimes they'll answer them. Sometimes they'll look to me for clarification, but they get into the, into the swing of things. They get a little more active. Another strategy, another great strategy is not necessarily giving them a task, but giving them, they're not the active person, but they are the, like the, the damsel in distress in that moment, or they are the something, something bad is happening or going to happen to them. Like it turns out your character has a degenerative disease that you got from touching that pretty flower you were looking at earlier. And now everyone has to try to figure out how to save you. That's why we can't have nice things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like making them this, like giving them the spotlight in a, in a, in a passive role, if they want to be a little bit more passive, if that's kind of like how they, they like to be more of an observer, observer, or, um, you know, maybe just pipe in every now and then. But if, if the entire party is trying to save them or do something for them or, um, help them out in some way they still have a spotlight role in that moment too um, they don't have to necessarily be the one talking they can be the one being talked mm. about and that is also a fun feeling as a player like how oh, look at all they look at them dance around to try to take care of me <laughs> i'm so loved <laughs> or hated and uh uh if you have if you have if you if you're playing a game that has some sort of bennies that's like you know at GM discretion kind of bennies where you're just giving, you're giving things up. Consider um, instituting a thing where you, um, you give uh, a Benny out for sharing the spotlight. Mm -hmm. Like when, when, you know, like the, the, you got a player who's playing the, the big dumb barbarian that doesn't talk a lot and they just, they like hanging in the background and just saying, I stand there, look intimidating. Um, you know, you've got another player that says like, you know, if you don't cooperate with us, my friend over here is going to come over, come on over <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, start questioning for me. Um, and then, you know, they can get a, the, the, the player who hands things off, gets a little, uh, reward for doing that. And it draws the person in who's maybe not normally, uh, as, as directly involved right. with conversation whether it be because of them personally as a player not being involved or playing a character that just doesn't, that they don't feel that character should interject them as often. And then if, 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 if all things go well, then that the barbarian brute type comes in and does something really cool <laughs> and they get a Benny too. And it's a win-win for, yeah. for, for the duo. Another, I mean, this is kind of like the strategy of, of last resort. It's not terrible, but to work with the player a bit maybe tweak their character from a role play perspective because sometimes that can be what it is they thought oh i would really have fun role playing this kind of a character 
And, and it turns out not so much. Like mm-hmm. I, I once made a D&D character who was supposed to be this kind of silent monastic type. And I learned about myself that I cannot keep my mouth shut and not make sarcastic comments. Um, so like I had to alter that a bit <laughs> in order to be able to play the game. Whereas well, like, one of I thought you favorite- took a vow of silence. weren't you silent five minutes ago (laughs) um whereas like one of my very favorite characters I've ever played and he did very very little but he was um he was a cleric uh secretly a cleric of Vecna this is a D&D game and he was also secretly a mind flayer so he was he was neutral evil and he didn't do anything evil he just kind of sat around and was like really frustrated about everything and like (laughs) I didn't do pretty much anything but it was so much fun just to play it I that's my I I love that I love having some secret nefarious thing that you are doing in the background because it just colors the rest of the role play interaction I I play a character once where um the the enemies it was like a world war ii setting and the enemies who of course are like nazi occultists in this game um had captured my my character's wife and i I was very upset about this my character was very upset about this and i was also very upset about this and they were holding her hostage in exchange for me spying on my friends and i would have to send secret messages to the the gm essentially reporting on everything that they were doing and i it it was fun because my character hated it but I loved, I loved doing the secret evil thing. It was yeah, so fun. Secret vampire stuff in the background. Always, always go for it. <laughs> yeah. And something to keep in mind too, when you're signing out, you're thinking about like, when it comes to like outside of character, or when you're creating, when someone's creating a character is as a GM, just be, be, be aware of like, sometimes a player will, tr- will create a trap character. Um, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. They won't realize they're, tr- they're creating a trap character, which is I want to play the lone wolf mm. or the secretive outsider. And they, they, they're not sure exactly how they're going to play that. And then they're going to, they're going to play it a certain way. And then suddenly they, they potentially get a few sessions into the game and realize that they've created this character that just doesn't interact with anybody. Um, so as a GM, somebody, you know, mentions that sort of a thing, keep the, I keep, keep things in mind that, okay, this is a group that's going to be working together. I'll ask the question. Okay. Well, what you can play the lone wolf character, but what types of things are going to make you want to join the pack Mm -hmm. occasionally? What you're going to play the outsider? What sorts of things are going to make you want to, to step into the spotlight? Um, just so that way you have, you have a few things up your sleeve that you can like, they can play the broody um, (laughs) secret (laughs) vampire at the edge of the the edge of the character group. But then every so often you can, you can throw that hook in there that, you know, they're going to grab and they'll, that'll get them involved and make sure that they get uh, a chance uh, in the spotlight. Yeah. Do, do you make sure that you discuss those things with your players too if you do notice like this is especially true for new new players a lot of people who get into involved in role-playing games um like to read fantasy literature and the lone wolf broody type is mm. a, a very important trope in that um but even aragorn you know joined the fellowship right he he had a reason to join in and he had this character arc um, that, you know, made it, made him a very important person in, in the story. Um, talking to your, taking your, your player outside to the side and saying, what's your arc going to be? Because you can't 
like we're, we're playing in a group. Is there a reason that your player, that your character is like this? And then you can maybe take some of those elements in and tug at that character's heartstrings and um, make the other characters want to, you know, do the big group hug and try to get them to join in. And like, I, you can see those, those story arcs happen in a lot of, a lot of children's uh, and, and teens media um, where, you know, the villain becomes a softy and joins the group oh, that's like that kind of um, pull in and it can happen gradually. Um, but you don't necessarily have to scrap the whole character, just like yeah. figure out. Yeah. The, the, my favorite example of that is Angel on Buffy. When we meet Angel, he's the broody lone wolf mm -hmm. outsider. Um, and he's like, he, he, he has very little interaction with the group. It's mostly with Buffy. Um, but then, you know, as we know, as we go along, he becomes an integral part of the group before he spins off into his own show. Um, but that's because he had two hooks and two hooks where he's got a soul and he falls in love with Buffy. So he's he's good at heart and he falls in love with Buffy. So he's got reasons to do things as long as the broody outsider type character has some reasons to do things. I have I have had this running joke with this group that I played with for a long time where I look my friend um, and. I'm going to call him Andy because that's his name. Um, <laughs> and, and he totally, he totally knows this. Um, I don't know that he would ever listen to this, but Andy loved to provoke. And it was, it was a joke more than anything else, but it was a warning to like, be careful about des designing your character too, where it was, he would, his joke would always be like, you know, like the, the adventures would come into town and there would be some terrible problem going on. And Andy would be like, what is my motivation for getting involved in that? That sounds dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> and I would be like, Andy, you, your character doesn't have to get involved in that. They can go over there and farm right now. And you can <laughs> set that character aside and they can be a farmer and never get involved in fighting the Goblin King. But we need a character that's going to find a reason to get involved. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You you do have you you have to have as a player. Give me a motivation. You have to have a motivation. I hate <laughs> I hate that. Like, why do why would I want to do this? Look, because it's the game we're playing. We talked about this. Why would my character want to do this? Girl. Because you're playing uh, D and D. Uh, see, <laughs> see when again, Call of Cthulhu game kind of helps with this. But whenever my players say like, "Why should we get involved with this?" I say, "Oh, you don't have to." Plot will find you eventually. That <laughs> seems to be effective. <laughs> if you would like, if you would like to have a choice in how the plot goes down, <laughs> you'll follow the hook. If you don't want to have a choice in how the plot goes down, I can I'll gladly drop it in your laps out of the blue unexpectedly with no preparation on your part. <laughs> or we can all, or we can all just watch a, a movie and or play a card game. Watch Grizzly Two Revenge. <laughs> Everybody, we were talking about Grizzly 2, colon, Revenge, um, before we started recording. Go watch it. It's on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> but go to IMDb and look up the trivia and the cast first. Yeah. It's, you won't be, mm, you yeah. will you will both you will both not be disappointed and also be utterly disappointed. It's Schrodinger's it's Schrodinger's disappointment. I think it'd be fun to go into that movie not knowing anything about it and then be like, wait, like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's all. Is that a segue moment? I think so. Uh, what's our GMing topic? Grizzly bears are always segue moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's our game design topic for today, Greg? Oh boy, the game design. Um, talk a little bit about um, 
making you know if, when you're designing your game you're gonna have a setting right there's gonna be a world that this game is set in and making that setting or some part of it some aspect of it um part of the mechanics where it's not just a backdrop but it's also you know there's something there's going to be some dice rolls card flips point system accrual and spent expenditure you know something that that you you do with the game mechanics that affects the setting or vice versa where the setting somehow affects the the characters in some way um and um like just as an example um it's it's one of it's it's a very simple example um from my favorite game ever deadlands the original deadlands um there's a fear rating like a re any region that you're in has a fear has a fear rating um and that fear rating as it gets higher um, is a is a, a, a negative modifier. It's a penalty to rolls to do certain things because like you're, you know, your knees are shaking and there's terrible things going on and nobody wants to cooperate with you because and all the townsfolk are, are piddling themselves because the fear level is so high. Um, and if the if it, awesome. if it gets to uh, fear rating five, it becomes a deadland. And that's what the game is called. Um, and then there's ways for you to adjust that fear rating. There's ways for there's there's mecha game mechanic things that you can do to improve the fear rating and lower it. Um, and it's something that I think it got it probably got ignored in a lot of Deadlands game. You, you there was a skill called tale telling where you told the story of your deeds and how you defeated the big bad evil thing, and that makes all the people who live in that region feel better. Mm. And the, the 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 dark evil things that live in the night can't feed on your fear as easily. If the character, if the if all the people that live there aren't as afraid anymore, and that drops the fear rating. Yeah, setting and um, horror games in particular mm. are are so like the setting. If you if you want to learn how to be a good incorporator of setting into your mechanics, check out a horror game where it, like Deadlands. I I love Deadlands, um, and, and that that's a really good example. Um, but like the, the actual backdrop of a horror game is so important, just like the backdrop of a horror movie. It's important to the, to the plot in general. Um, so grab, grab one of those and, and check it out. Um, but you can do this with, you can do something like that with any game uh, with uh, the game that I'm pushing the play testing along with very soon. Um, one of the, like part of the setting is that, the whole world has magic everywhere. It's a natural resource, um, but it's a limited magical, it's a limited natural resource and you can pull from it and you can use it and, and things are going to change within the environment if you do so in great amounts. So um, the mechanics um, with, with using ley lines and, and using um, what is essentially magic drugs <laughs> might might change some of the environment around you at times. Um, we also have a, a reputation system where uh, your reputation spreads physically throughout the world uh, and, and that can affect things too. So it's not just necessarily the actual physical setting, but the, the setting of what's going around in the towns and cities and locales uh, around you and what they know about you already as you are approaching them. Um, so there's there's lots of stuff that you can do um, when you think about what are your characters doing to influence the setting and vice versa. So first, this isn't exactly on topic, but what you were just saying just reminded me of my favorite, very favorite thing to say as a as a GM, which is 
this will have no negative repercussions whatsoever. Um, that tends to, again, go over well with my players. So yeah, it's integrating setting and mechanics is, I mean, I, I love it. It's so fascinating. Um, I mean, you do have to consider whether or not you want to. That is an important part. Um, mm -hmm. Like, it's not always a good thing. I, I'm bipolar. I've been tossing around the notion of making a game that's kind of meant to illustrate that experience a bit for people who haven't had it. And were I to do that, like, you know, if some people connect to that better through, you know, bipolar D&D &D characters or whatever, like, okay, you know, whatever, it's not a problem. So in that case, like, I wouldn't want it to be integrated like that because then you can only play it into the one world. But, mm. but generally speaking, yeah, especially in any game like horror where the the ambiance is so important and that emotional content, it really is key. Um, although I, I might be getting a bit into the semantics, I would make the differentiation between like being integral to the mechanic and or to the, to the mechanics and being prompted. Um, so for example, again, the I've been prepping a dungeon for my Twilight War games. So it's like, in my brain, which is why I keep referencing it. Uh, also, it's the only game I'm running right now. But um, we get into the situation where my players are exploring these dark caves that are probably infested with, you know, God only knows what, probably even God doesn't know what. Um, and my players are, you know, in their well-lit rooms and they're joking and laughing. And most of the time, that's fine. That's good. But it was getting under my skin a little. So I've, I've, develop this thing which I call dark scenes, which is like occasionally, usually not, but but sometimes when, when they're in one of these situations where things are, re are really tense for their characters, like we dim the lights and we add this mechanic where it's not just the characters' reactions who matter, but it's the players. Oh, so like it, it doesn't work this way online anymore, but basically like I'd roll a color die and they have like a limited amount of time to roll a die of the same color. And if they roll the right color in the right time, then everything's great. If they write, roll the um, wrong color, um, then, you know, they act, react inappropriately. So like a small child, an orphan jumps out from behind. <laughs> Apparently I hate orphans today. <laughs> I don't know. Just murder them um, left and right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> jumps out from behind. Um, a bookshelf to ask for help and the character with a machine gun thinks oh god it's a horrible monster and shoots at it maybe maybe they miss and they all live happily ever after i don't know but you know that's the general idea um and it's not like necessary to the setting at all to do that but it is prompted by it like it is something that flows naturally from it um if you want to get more into like what's integral the um and this is, I mentioned I'm part of Flying Nightmare Games and we have out our, our product Beyonder. We're actually working on a second edition, but I don't want to talk about too, that too much because it's in prototype. Um, but I'm actually pretty pleased with how this came out. Our world is based on six energies, um, body, emotion, mental, physic, which are what they sound like. And then shadow, that is a force that tears everything apart and spirit, which is a force that binds everything together. And instead of having strength, dexterity, things like that, character stats are affinities with each of these energies. 
Um, and this impacts what sorts of supernatural abilities they possess. And the supernatural abilities all fall in line with these things. So you end up with things like, um, you know, the healers and the fighters tend to be the same people because it's it's all about the body energy. Um, so, you know, some of that can, if, if you do it well, and I like to think we did, um, if you do it well, it can really add a lot to the game because it will create these situations that you hadn't anticipated. Like things will arise organically from the integration. Yeah, I, I can see what you mean by that. It with okay, so, so I think the really difficult thing when it when it comes to we think so much about how our characters are going to interact with monsters or with NPCs when we're designing games, um, but not necessarily that relationship. At, at least for me, that relationship between the setting and the characters. Uh, what situations will naturally come up think about those things if your setting is supposed to be an important part of it um if you're doing a victorian sherlock holmes-esque game like baker street uh if you are in a setting where you're you're around like a bunch of street urchins your fancy fancy dressed you know i can't think of it like even like a police officer character, you would not do very well in that situation. No one is going to trust you. Like that setting there um, would, would be different. Um, in Clockwork Dominion, which is another game I've, I've GM'd for a lot, um, different social situations have different tenors and that level of formality affects the things that your characters can do socially. Um, so you can, you can think about um, things like that, which are, it's, it's part of the setting, but it's also in relation to the characters and the NPCs going on too. I don't know. It's 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 kind of a tough area of design for me. Um, I don't know how you two feel. Um, I think it 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 is. Um, it's like Simon said, like deciding whether or not you want to do it, mm -hmm. um, and then how you implement it becomes the question. And it's sort of like, and and I think when it comes to that sort of thing, like a little bit. Can probably go a long way you don't have to have the setting like influence and, and in, interact with the mechanics in like seven different ways right like if you just have one thing that's kind of central to what the game is about um then that becomes like just an interesting point um and and it doesn't because it doesn't overpower like what's important about the mechanics with the how the characters accomplish things and so forth um i'm working on a game right now that is um, essentially, you're playing programs living inside of a computer like Tron, and the computer is crashing for the last time. It's the apocalypse, like Mad Max. Um, and the I've been I've been looking lately at uh, okay, well, what does that mean to the the world of the computer? Um, and the the game uses D8s entirely. Um, so I've got like this: the world of the computer is set out on an eight by it's a square area. It's set out in an eight by eight grid. So you can roll two D8s and pick a a sector um and as the game progresses what i wanted was for it to not be i didn't want the setting to be like okay here's a world that is in collapse 
that is going through an apocalypse and here's what everything's like. I wanted to be able to represent to some extent the whole process of like, here's where it just starts to collapse and here's where we get to where it's like, okay, the lights are going out for the last time. This is, this is the end mm -hmm. of this world um, because you can play a game that actually goes there if you, if you want to play it that way. And so I, I, I figured out like, well, I can have what I've developed in the game or what I call collapse phases, which is to say just just a number rating that determines um, it, it, it influences the mechanics in two ways. One, it um, influences characters as far as like how much of a certain resource they can have, because as the system falls apart, being a computer program, you're like intrinsically tied to the, the world of the computer. Um, so it affects them. Um, and then it also, every time you ramp up to the next, um, collapse phase, you will roll the, the, the GM will roll the, the, the 2d8 multiple times. And as it goes along through collapse phases, it gets worse and worse, more, more sectors and you'll roll sectors and say, okay, well, this sector, something happens here. And then there'll be a table that will also be dependent upon the, the collapse phase that you're in so that like the table, as you go higher and higher, you're basically rolling a D8 and adding the collapse phase. So the higher results are even worse than the lower results. <laughs> um, so when you get to high collapse phases where it's almost to the end, you're not going to get any of those like simple minor inconveniences that happen in the sectors where you can have like, well, okay, that particular quadrant, that sector, it's gone. It mm -hmm. just it just deteriorates completely. Everything and everyone that was there is gone. Welcome to the apocalypse. Everybody died. Um, mm -hmm. or it can be, you know, this area gets overrun by aberrant programs or this area, um, gets dis divested from the power source that normally keeps everything functioning. So everybody there is now stuck in suspended animation until you can get them power and give them mm -hmm. a battery. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's just all sorts of different things that can happen. Um, so like the idea is that the game will take you through successive phases of an apocalypse and that will be reflected mechanically and and play out in the world and in the characters um, because of their link uh, to the world so i i don't know how it's going to work we're going to play test it and find out but that's yeah. kind of where it's going because i got really intrigued by the idea of 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 um the setting being tied into the mechanics in in some way like that and yeah. this is this is what i've come up with thus far for this particular game yeah one of so, the Go ahead, Simon. I was just going to say, well, A, that sounds amazing and I want in on this playtest. <laughs> and B, I think it brings up an interesting point about like the the scope of narrative focus, right? Like the Beyonder, like I mentioned, is supposed to be very broad, can tell a variety of stories, but, you know, it does that at a cost. Like um, anything that's more narratively focused, if you want to tell a specific story about the apocalypse, the, the apocalypse um, seen through computers and programmers, like, you know, you can get into a lot more detail. There can be a lot tighter integration of the mechanics with not just the setting, but with the actual experience you want the players to have in that setting. Um, so I don't really have any insightful remarks to follow up on that, but it made me um, think of that sort of distinction. I thought I'd say something. I think that's a fair point that, that the more you tie the setting into the mechanics, there's, you won't necessarily definitely do it, but there it's more likely. I think the setting tied to the mechanics will work more easily and feel like it's more important to the story that you're telling. If the story is more narrow, like if you've got a game that's very broad and you can do all sorts of different adventures, then having this thing that ties to the setting 
you know, yeah. it, it's probably going to be um, a, a little more on the minor scale of how everything gets affected. Whereas like, if you have something that's very, very specific, that's like this, this, this mechanic promotes this very specific type of story. Um, it has a heavier weight mm, yeah, um, ex exactly. to, to the design and yeah. And it had, and it has a, and, and that will affect the players and how they kind of interact with that and what they, and what they think of that when they're, when they're playing the game too, because my hope is that like, you know, for my example is like playing this game, people are going to be like, you know, they're going to have part of their stories are going to be like, and then the whole sector disappeared. And like, we had like, you know, NPCs that we cared <laughs> about that were there and it just, they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, and it will, it will, and it, that it'll have an impact on the on the on the players and on the story. Yeah, it, it, and it's a great way to be thinking of it. Like you know, you you think first of like what's the experience the players want to have? Like what do I want them to be talking about when they tell their friends about the game session later? I yeah, no, I I mean generally speaking, I like to come at these things experience first. But uh, you just got they're very specific into like what could they say about it after, and I think that's really cool. And and it's okay if you don't tie the mechanics um, to no, to aspect not. of the setting. No, you have it's not. To. Oh, oh, sorry. Okay. Well, I've been sh I've been shouted down by one person. I will go over into the corner and curl up. Turns but, uh, out there are some setting agnostic games, and that should not be allowed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's. I I think I think the the more specific and narrow type of story you want your game to tell, like like Craig, you're you have a very specific type of story you want to tell the settings going to impact things way more there's going to be much more of a tie-in I, th I think that that's just true um if, you, if you're telling a story about mid mid-century boarding schools that setting is going to be important you're going to have mechanics that tie into that uh but if if you want a, a nice broad slate yeah it's it's fine. It's fine to have a setting agnostic or a very setting loose piece of work. The way you phrase that makes me think we may be leaving out one one option here: setting agnostic, setting tied, but also um, something that can be setting agnostic but story tied. Um, so off the top of my head, you know, if you're thinking about like, oh, I want to think about how you might tell a love story in the real world versus a fantasy world versus a sci-fi world, you might have mechanics to tell a love story, like about, you know, relationships and that sort of thing, but the setting itself doesn't particularly matter. So maybe mm -hmm. we have a third option there. Setting is, uh, like you're speaking at it from purely literary, literary terms, setting is one of the elements of a story. It's it's going to be there one way or another. Um, just, I guess, think about it as a designer. <laughs> Make sure you consider it. <laughs> consider the setting. <laughs> you have uh, a lot of elements to work with. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's uh, The Strange, too, by Monty Cook Games. Um, has a because it, it involves the characters going to different like different dimensions or realms um and uh, depending on which one you go to your character changes there's things that happen to your character you know things that you know different things you have different capabilities and different um like you you're you literally like your character sheet changes a little bit like every mm -hmm. time you go to someplace yeah. different that's cool um yeah 
which is uh, which is really intriguing. If if and that, that this is recalling from like the one time I played it at Gen Con several years ago, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I recall like you you like you actually like flip a part of the character sheet and there's like a oh there's a whole, whole bunch of other stuff now when I go to this other oh, place cool. there's like I love the reveals. That's my great. character has access to these other things. Um. So yeah, I mean, it can be it can tie into the your character. It can tie into how the mechanics themselves work. It can just be mechanics that influence and change the setting based on um, things that characters do or just um like a timer like in my in my example it, it's just a timer of like you know every 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 so many game sessions you're just moving one more tick down the apocalypse um but there's you know there's also you know can you stop the apocalypse can you can you prevent these things from happening so that's something that i'm looking at in the game too like there'll be things that characters can do that will cause that whole mechanic that I discussed to work differently and make it less likely that really, really terrible things will happen. Um, I'm still figuring that out. <laughs> well, we'll give you until next week. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. I'll whip it up to get, I'll whip it all together this week. I've got nothing else yeah. to do. <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed having this conversation. I'm thinking Likewise. a lot about how my, my current games setting ties into mechanics. I, I I'm worried. I like, I worry sometimes like, cause I want the setting to feel important. Like, am I doing enough with it? But Craig, you mentioned earlier, it doesn't need to be seven different ways to feel impactful. Yeah, it can it can be one simple thing that just like the players will go, oh, that's kind of cool. And they'll 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 be cognizant of it and it'll it'll create an interesting experience because you've you've put that into the game. Well, Simon, where can we find you on on the internet and what do you want to plug for us? Well, uh, as I mentioned before, I'm bipolar, so I actually have a lot of projects because <laughs> sometimes I get manic and do half projects. But um, the ones I'm focusing on right now, um, uh, there's Flying Nightmare Games, um, which is uh, uh, our, our current product is Beyonder. Um, it's uh, in the world of FM, which is alive on the continent of Tamara. It has um, various uh, races, such as the Heala, who are these desert nomads who um, are born via magical rituals where they are summoned from the stars, or um, the Wellen, who are, I've, I've heard them called tree otters by my players. <laughs> uh, their culture is prank-based. Um, we also, you can find us at fnbgames.com or flyingnightbeargames.com. And uh, we also have a Patreon, which is mostly about just telling stories from the world. So I highly recommend you go there and give us money. Um, I mean, you know, get stories. Uh, the Enigma I mentioned, I'm currently in the latter phases of the beta testing, working out some of the tech kinks, um, but it's essentially a riddle where you are given a bone flute it can play different notes the audios are provided the notes are not like normal notes they are uh sounds and you kind of have to figure out what to do from there so um if anyone um if you go to the flying nightmare games website and you sign up for the newsletter you'll be kept up to date on on beyonder stuff and also on the enigma um, I also am looking for like a couple more last beta testers for that. So if anyone's interested, they're free to hit me up, simon at fnbgames.com. Um, there's also the Twilight War. 
I mentioned that, but that's that's a ways out. That's a larger project. So, oh, and yeah, we're we're on Instagram and we're on Instagram, Flying Nightmare Games. Yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. I was gonna say thank you so much for having this conversation with us. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank thanks you. for coming on board. Great. Yeah, you can find you. me at on Twitter at, at @joska. Uh, I'll spell it this time. I said I wasn't going to spell it before. It's J-A-W-S-K-A. You can find me there uh, or you can find my games at wannabegames.com or on DriveThruRPG and itch at wannabegames. And um, I'm Craig Campbell. You can find me at NerdBurgerCraig Nerd on Twitter. Um, games are at DriveThruRPG.com. The fancy nice books are at NerdBurgerGames.com. However, right now, uh, the Kickstarter for Secrets of the Vibrant Isle is going on. So before you go buying anything over there, go by uh check the the kickstarter and if you want to back that there's add-ons where you can get some games for uh, a discount and i want to so i don't have to add the little audio at the end give a little shout out to our theme song for our opening and closer it is called abel by steph Sachs. thank you for that creative commons licensed song and we'll we'll see you back here next time thanks everybody bye bye bye